after six or seven companies, I just said, you know, why don't I just do my own thing? So, and see how that goes because I can bet on myself. Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. It's Andrea here, and I am so excited to share with you today this live episode that we recorded with Jennifer Todd, who is the founder and president of LMS General Contractors. Based in South Florida, LMS General Contractors is a women-owned firm specializing in full-service demolition, disaster recovery, environmental asbestos, COVID-19, lead, mold, and site work services. LMS works across the Southeast US and in California. Jennifer was featured on the cover of Construction Business Owner Magazine. She's the Engineering News Record's Top 25 Newsmakers of 2020 and the ENR Top 20 Under 40. We met on Instagram a few years ago and I am honored that Jennifer is here sharing her story today. Jennifer, I am so excited that you are here today on the Ambition Theory Women in Construction podcast. I've been following you on Instagram for a couple of years now, and I've just watched you have success after success and just inspire me along my journey and my career and just not be afraid to share where you're at, not be afraid to challenge the status quo. And I'm just so excited that you're here today to share your wisdom with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am happy to be here. Amazing. So I want to start because um, I'm so curious about what attracted you to the construction industry in the first place. I was never attracted to the construction industry. I actually just needed a job and I ended up sticking with it and, and found out that I loved it. So how did that happen? Tell me. Uh, once you graduate college and the reality sets in that you are not going to be doing what you got your degree in and you need to work, then um, you start looking for options. And so I ran into a friend and basically he said, hey, uh, you got, I have a job if you need it. It's not much, but it's something to do. And so I took it. And so I started there as an administrative assistant, uh, making, I don't know, $13, $14 an hour, and just had the propensity to understand what was going on and went from there. So tell me how you went from admin and rose through the ranks, because that is really interesting, because I don't hear a lot of people that do that, to be honest. Well, one, I will say that um, you have to have uh, someone who, if it's not a mentor, but someone who sees something in you. And my boss at the time really saw that I was uh, interested and capable of doing more than what I was assigned to do. Like I said, starting out as an admin, you get all the paperwork, you're looking at the bids, you're looking at the estimates and packaging liens and things of that nature. And so you become really familiar with the documents uh, that you're dealing with. And so 
as I started to do that, I became more interested in putting the bid packages together. And from there, it, it went to, okay, well, let me look at the numbers and see how they're coming to the numbers. And so I began to do the estimating. And once I did the estimating, I said, well, let me go to the job to see exactly what it looks like and how that transcribes to what we're doing in the office. And so I became a field superintendent. And really, it just was uh, a natural progression of knowing and wanting to know more about what was going on and how things worked. And that's really what made me effective at the job is that when you do the different aspects of the job, you're able to say, this is what it should look like. And this is how we can be successful in doing it. So I'm really curious about formal education, because you said your degree was not in not in construction at all. It wasn't what you went to school for, but you were able to learn all these skills on the job. But I hear from a lot of people that they they do have a technical background. They do have an engineering background or they got into construction that way. So did you receive any barriers or feedback or anything because you didn't have that technical education? No, I mean, uh, 15 years ago, people didn't care about having a degree in construction. That wasn't even a thing at the time. Like most people didn't have a degree in construction. Everyone had just worked within the construction industry for years. Now more so, you're seeing much more technical uh, degrees and college degrees that are geared toward specifically construction. But one, I wasn't even aware of anything about construction. I didn't know any women in construction, so I probably wasn't looking for that. My degree uh, undergrad was in psychology, and so I thought that I was going to be a therapist until I failed statistics, and they were like, that's that's your psychology career is over. So that was my mindset, is that that's what I had dreamt of doing my entire life, was just being a therapist. So. Uh, from the technical side, no, I didn't really have any hurdles. I think going to college helped me um, be able to decipher and work within the field of construction. But it wasn't until I decided to open my own business um, that I made that decision to attend law school. And that was really based on seeing all of the trials and tribulations that women and minority businesses face within the construction industry and and basically how not having that legal assistance would cripple the business okay i want to back it up a little bit because i want to mm -hmm. understand how you went from being in a being a superintendent and working for a company to to starting your own business well, actually, uh, it was <laughs> at the time when I was working for the company, um, we were working and uh, in Alabama and we were doing disaster relief work. And so they actually needed some disaster relief consultants. And so um, my boss said, why don't you just open a company because they need people like right now? And I was like, well, how, how am I going to do that? And he says, well, it's not a conflict. We, we're doing demolition work. It's consulting. You do paperwork. Just set something up for this job and so i said okay and so i ended up working with um working with arcadas and it was literally like within a week and so after that they're like hey we have an employee for you here you go like it just it just kind of like fell in my hands and so after that project um they needed more people to do demolition work and they needed more uh minority and women participation and so um we worked out something where I ended up subbing and doing uh, some work as well, doing some actual construction activities, but it just uh, it just really happened. And so I didn't do anything with the company after that because I didn't know what to do. 
it wasn't until I lived in LA and I really wanted to uh, to make the transition and grow uh, with a larger company and do more work that um, basically I just was kind of forced into starting my own company. You get so much rejection that you're just like, okay, I do have a company. Why don't I do something with that? So. Okay. So you moved to LA and you're like, I'm going to try to get a job in LA. It wasn't happening. So you said this company that I already started, I'm going to lean into that and see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because at the time I was, when I was in LA, I was probably like in my early thirties. And so, um, though my resume looked good on paper when they met me, they were like, you're a kid. <laughs> so there's no way uh, we're going to hire you for this position. We don't have anyone that looks like you. Um, what you're asking for is just, you know, absurd. So it was a it was a culmination of things. It was a culmination of racism. It was a culmination of sexism, culmination of ageism. And so um, it just after six or seven companies, I just said, you know, why don't I just do my own thing? So, and see how that goes because I can bet on myself. Okay. So that is a lot of mental stress, right? Six or seven oh, companies. Yeah. How did you keep your, your mindset right and moving forward and looking for opportunities? Cause I do think that's something I really admire about you is this ability to keep seeing the opportunity, even though you get shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down. Cause that is a lot. I just think that when you're in a male dominated industry and being a double minority as a black woman in the industry, it, it's something that you have to build resilience in the workplace. Um, no matter if you're in the medical field or if you're in the publication field or construction, it's that when you are a woman in the, in the workplace and especially a black woman, you have to just continue to keep going. And so that's kind of the way I was raised. And that's my mindset about everything is that, okay, if plan A doesn't work, what's plan B? Plan B doesn't work, what's plan C? Because at the end of the day, when you're an adult, um, you have to adult. So that means you have to pay bills, you have to live, you have to feed yourself. And living in California is not, it's not cheap, it's very expensive. So you have to figure it out very quickly. So. Um, so this is, that's a really incredible story. And did you have a big vision for the business when you started? No, I just said, I want to make what they told me I couldn't make. So that's it. I said, if I could make hundred grand, 150 grand, I'll be good with that. That's, you know, that's, that's good for me. That's, you know, I mean, I knew that there was, uh, that there were, there was money and there was opportunity in construction because I'd worked for a company and we, we were doing millions of dollars in work and some of the projects I even um, that I even procured for the company were 1.2, 1.4 million dollars. And so I knew that I was capable of bringing in those types of numbers. But again, it was me. It's different. Uh, it's always different. And I think people are often surprised when they go out on their own. Uh, you will have the backing of the company and everyone loves you. But then when you decide to make the transition on your own, it's like, ah, well, you had such and such, you know, propping you up. Now it's just you. I don't know if you're capable of doing that same work at the same level. That's in and how did you overcome that? Do good work. You just have to do the work. I mean, you can sell anything and, and say whatever, but construction is about getting things done. And so it's not done until it's done. And so you just have to take the steps and do the work. And that's the long game that people don't really want to acknowledge. If you are an HR professional or a construction leader, and you're curious about how you can better engage and support your female staff, 
we have some exciting news to share with you. Ambition Theory has developed industry-specific leadership training programs for women in line with the Canadian Construction Association's Gold Seal Certification Program. The goal of these programs is to help companies develop leaders from the talent that already exists internally. There is a war for talent in the construction industry, and engagement and retention are among the best ways to address this. If you want to learn how Ambition Theory can help you improve employee engagement and retention, go to ambitiontheory.ca and book a call with us. And now back to the conversation. So I'm really curious now, you mentioned it earlier, this idea of going to law school. Because when we first met on Instagram, I was a little bit confused because your Instagram handle is construction logout. And I originally thought you were a law firm that had construction clients, but that is not the case. Can you clarify this part of the story for us? Um, well, the thought behind construction law gal uh, is just, uh, it was catchy. And I was like, construction, law school, you know, a little island girl, there you go. <laughs> so um, really, it's just a matter of when I went to um, law school, yes, I did go for my business. But ultimately, I knew that I wanted to help other people in similar situations. I wanted to impress upon uh, small and diverse companies the importance of retaining a lawyer and setting up your business the right way and protecting yourself doing the work because construction is very litigious and so you have to be prepared and the only way to be prepared is to be knowledgeable of what's ahead of you and to ensure that your contract is is safe to ensure that you're getting paid properly because those are the things that can completely one project can completely wipe you out if you're not prepared and so you were you already had started your construction business and then you decided to go to law school just because you're like I want to understand this side of the business that was the motivation. Yeah, and really when you're doing a lot of um, administrative tasks you're kind of doing the legal lease anyway, but I just wanted the legal standing to say that yes, uh, yeah, I do have a law degree, I do understand what's going on, and I, I am able to protect myself and my business. That's cool. That is really cool. So I am so curious. I went to your website and I'm curious about your company. And I know your tagline for MLS is building relationships one project at a time. And I thought that was so interesting because as a contractor, it should be about projects, right? But you're putting relationships first in the tagline of the business. So in the way you do business, you're saying to the world that relationships are our number one priority. Can you tell me? why this is the case for you? I think anytime that you're a business owner, regardless of the type of business that you're in, uh, relationships are at the core of all of the work that you do. It's how you build trust. It's how you build sustainability within your organization. Uh, you can chase projects all day long and that's going to just <laughs> absorb you because it, it's a full-time job to get a job. But once you establish relationships with different people, you're able to, uh, the work will come to you much easier. And if you're doing good work, people will seek you out. And if they like you, they're really going to seek you out because they trust your capabilities and they like working with you. Okay, that's so interesting. Um, can you tell me how do you go about building those relationships? 
it is a long game to build relationships. It's I tell people all of the time, building relationships within the workplace is just like you do when you're in school. Um, you have to continuously uh, be in front of that person. You have to continuously nurture the relationship, uh, show interest in what they're interested in or find some commonality with the person and make it more than work if you really want to have a strong and viable relationship. I mean, people don't want to just hear from you and say, hey, uh, do you guys have a job or what's going on, you know, with your hand out all of the time. That's not how you nurture a relationship. Uh, from a business standpoint, uh, it's checking in, you know, two, every two to three months. It's calling the person to say, hey, happy anniversary, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, or sending them thank you letters for, you know, selecting your company or giving you an opportunity to meet. Things like that, uh, just people make it more complicated than it needs to be, but it's just how you would treat anyone else. It's just from a business standpoint. I love it. And it's just interesting. I was going in my Instagram and this is an example of you showing up for people. Like you said, I was going through my Instagram messages and I wanted to send you a message. And I was, I scrolled back to a couple of years ago when, when I was on TV and I shared the video of it and you gave me a clap. And that is like, literally it just like I didn't really even know you then that's when right we just started following each other and it's just those little things like giving someone a clap on Instagram are the things that actually do make a difference because here we are like probably three years later and I remember mm -hmm. when I saw you on that the first zoom call we had a couple of weeks ago I was like oh I already know you we're already friends I can I can yeah. already trust you and it's just so interesting that literally it's exactly what you said. It's when things don't matter, when you don't have a job, when you don't actually have any specific reason to do business together, making that connection and building that relationship. So thank you for explaining that to us. And I'm really curious about conflict along the way, because it's like, you have such a great story, right? It's like, there's Jennifer on the cover of the magazine. There's Jennifer making, making news. There's Jennifer um, just doing all this work across the U.S., because I want to understand how did it go from you in California, just, I'm going to start this business to now procuring government contracts, like being the leader, being a role model for others. Tell me how that happened and what conflicts came up along the way. Uh, the conflicts are constant, so uh, there, there's always going to be uh, some conflict or some issue that you're going to have to deal with during the course of business. Um, my business, like I said, it started off as I'm a first generation uh, construction business owner. I'm a uh, woman and I'm uh, black and I'm a minority. It, there's so many things that you have to deal with in quote unquote becoming successful. It's just a matter of resilience. Uh, the failures are endless. I have way more failures than I do wins. Uh, I just think that, you know, in the age of social media, we don't highlight it as much, but I have failed a lot in order to uh, to get to where I am and to continue to do uh, what I'm doing. What I didn't do is quit. I failed a lot, but I didn't quit. And I think that's the main thing that you have to keep in mind if you if you want to grow within your career or even own your own business. So I wanna talk about some of these failures because I know you've been really open about them on your social media accounts. So really talking about, pers can, I want you to share a personal failure, but also, a financial failure. <laughs> oh, okay. Those, those are easy. Um, uh, even though, uh, yes, I went to law school, but uh, what many people don't know is that 
I went, this is my second time attending law school because I made the decision to go to law school before I started my own company and I dropped out after the first year. I just couldn't, I wasn't ready, I couldn't focus and so I quit after the first year while I was living in California and then I didn't uh, re-enroll for another like three years. My general contractor's exam, um, yes, I am the youngest woman in the state of California to acquire a general engineering A license, but I failed the test the first time, so I missed it by three points. However, I went back and then I passed it. Uh, when it comes to financial failures, uh, I've had situations where I remember we uh, we bid a job, the, bid, the job was about $1.4 lost the job because I didn't complete the addendum. You know, so there, there are like, you know, the failures are, are way outweigh the wins for sure. Like I still cringe about the $1.4 million job that I could have had. So it's, it still hurts my heart to this day, but it's about, uh, it's about growth. It's about being strategic. It's about learning how to delegate. And so you, you're going to have a series of failures along the way. And your job is to not do it again, you know, you're supposed to learn the lesson so that the new lesson can come aboard and you can be better prepared in the future. Can you break us down? Because it sounds like you've been failing. It sounds like you've been failing for a long time. And so build mm -hmm. up that muscle of resilience. So can you actually break it down for us? Because I know for you, you don't think about it. I think it's automatic, right? Like when something happens, you have these automatic ways, these automatic triggers that you need that you do to overcome it and move on to the next thing. Can you just reverse engineer and try to explain to us like what are the actual steps you take like after this failure so that you can move on to the next thing okay well let's talk about failure because failure really comes in three different ways it's failure when you you may fail something because you don't have the skill set or the knowledge to do the task or the goal which you're trying to do or you may not have the resources to do what you need to do you may not have the finances or know the people and that enables you to fail at something or you may fail because you didn't give 100%. And so if you know you didn't give 100%, you can't be upset about failing or not achieving your task because you know you didn't do what you needed to do. And so when you are looking at why you failed at something, you have to find out, okay, did I not have the resources? Do I not have the skill set, Or did I not give it my all? And if you can correct those things, then you can really achieve the goal that you're trying to do. And I think a lot of that has to do with being self-aware. If I didn't pass my test the first time, it's because I didn't have the resources. I needed to go take a class in order to pass that exam. I didn't go to school. Uh, I failed out of law school the first time and quit because I wasn't focused. I didn't give it 100% of my time. You know, I didn't pass. I didn't uh, get the bid for $1.4 million is because I didn't delegate. You know, it was my responsibility to ensure it was done. And instead of delegating the task and making the time to do what needed to be done, I didn't do it. And so you go back and say, okay, what can I do differently? Uh, let me analyze the situation. Do I need help or is this not for me? And I that's how I go about dealing with things. I love that, that curiosity and really figuring out what is the root cause. That is really amazing that you do that. And thank you for explaining it to explaining it to us. And I have a question about 
um, this philosophy that you have, this failing forward, this moving forward, all of these great things that you've, these strengths that you've built in yourself as a leader, how do you transform those into the culture at LMS? Um, I encourage everyone to, uh, to be leaders and to own the work that they're doing. It's not everyone wants to start a business and, and be in charge. You know, some people just love to support the cause. They love to support the vision of what the company is trying to do. And I fully support that. What you want to do is give people the autonomy to do their job. If you hire someone, uh, give them the skills and give them the know-how of, hey, this is how things are done. But how you get there at that, from this point, as long as you follow the key steps, I don't care how you get there, as long as it gets done in the manner it needs to get done. And so that's kind of the uh, approach I take with my employees and also uh, encouraging those who really want to grow. If you come to me and say, hey, I'm doing this, but I would like to be doing that, then I'm going to see what we can do to help you facilitate that dream and that goal. I love that. And so has that has been something that you it taken you years to kind of hone or was that something that's been in the culture since the beginning? I would say it's been in the culture since the beginning because that's what someone uh, did with me. They invested the time and they said, hey, what do you want to do? Because a lot of times we may be doing uh, a job that we don't really love, but we are interested in doing something else, but we just haven't been given the opportunity to do it. I love it. So I am curious if you have any advice for people, because it sounds like in your first job in construction, you had a really great boss that was sponsoring you, believed in you, opened doors, took risks, like literally, like if that, if your company didn't do well, I think that would have looked really poorly on your boss. Um, you had this great manager, you had this great mentor, you had this great sponsor at the beginning. What about for people who don't have that great manager? If you don't have a great manager, uh, you have to make a decision of, if you want to stay with that company, if you feel supported enough, and if you do, uh, then maybe try to find someone else, maybe not your, uh, your manager, but someone else that is in a position of authority to kind of help you as a mentor or an ally. And if you don't, find someone else outside of your organization who you can lean into to assist you in kind of navigating and growing your career. So I'm curious about getting your foot in the door because you are a big proponent of construction, of just getting more women into the industry, but it's not always obvious, like how you get started, right? Because you, like it said, when you just applied with your resume, like you got to the interview, but at the interview, they're like, no, 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 no. So it's not that easy to just apply and get in. So what are some other things that people can do to get their foot in the door? Yeah, you know, it, it's not as cloak and dagger as it used to be, but um, now I would say that a big thing uh, I recommend people do is get on LinkedIn. It is a the number one professional resource for a reason and connect with different uh, construction organizations. Um, if you uh, you can connect with National Association of Minority Contractors or NAWIC, um, different groups and different organizations attend their events so that you can find out. Now they hold trade shows and employment shows and things of that nature. And that's a great way to kind of get your foot in the door but also I, I go back to LinkedIn because you never know who knows who. And so looking at your connections, maybe there's someone who can do like an introductory meeting to someone, like even if you, you may not even know that they're in construction, but reaching out to people that way to find out how you can get involved and get involved in the industry. Okay, 
So I have a question, and this is something that people, you told me, people always ask you on social media is how did you actually get your contractor's license? You said you were one of the youngest people in California to ever get it. How did that happen? Um, basically, when you are seeking to get your contractor's license, you really need to just do the research to find out uh, what the state requirements are. And I always encourage people, even if you think you know about your industry, the tests are not designed that way. You need to study for the exam itself, not for based on your knowledge, your working knowledge. I always say take get the books, take the course, uh, do the online course, whatever it is that you need to do, because what you're studying is not the not the context of what you're studying. You're studying how to pass the test. So do your research, find out where you need to, uh, what items are needed to take the test and register. Uh, a lot of times they do require work experience and, and now today they uh, do allow you to have an educational component in lieu of the work. So find out what the requirements are and study, you know, take the courses, get the guides and study for the exam itself, not for the trade. I have a question about this though, because in the preparation, because it sounds like, mm -hmm. like you've taken a lot of risks, like you went to law school, you've gotten all of this training, but you've also kind of like gone for it, taken the risk mm -hmm. for the job, maybe not known everything before you did it. But there's this fine balance between like training skills, being ready and going for it. How do you, Jennifer, navigate that balance? I'm so curious. Um, I'm a person who doesn't really like to ask for help. And so I acknowledge that is one of my weaknesses. And so I'm more of like, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. And what I saw when working with other companies was uh, just specifically when it comes to the contractor's license is that if I hire an employee and uh, we decide to break up and they leave, they're leaving with my license. So how can I do work? And I saw situations where employees will kind of hold that over a business owner's head and say, hey, well, I need a raise or I need a vacation or I want this, I want that. And if you don't, then I'm going to take my license. And so I vowed that that would never happen to me. And so I said, I don't care how many times I have to take the test. I'm going to take it because I want to have ownership over my business and my license. And so that's why it was so important for me to take all of my own trade licenses. Um, because I wanted to make sure that no one could kind of dangle that carrot over my head or, or leave me in a complete disaster because you only have about 60 to 90 days to replace that person. So we had a situation uh, when I was working with another company and an employee decided to leave and we were in the middle of a project. And so it's like, not only are you trying to finish the project, but you're trying to replace the qualifier. And that was just a complete nightmare. Okay, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. We have a lot of exciting things happening at Ambition Theory right now, specifically for women in the construction industry. Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at ambitiontheory.ca so that you don't miss out on anything. And now back to our conversation. My next question is, how do you actually get a job, right? Like you're saying, okay, I got this $1.4 million job at the very beginning. <laughs> how do you go from, I'm going to start my own business to sign a $1.4 million contract? Well, two, one goes back to building and nurturing those relationships so that you can find someone who will trust you enough to just give you a little piece of the pie when you're starting like, hey, look, just give me like 
I don't care if it's janitorial work, construction work, I'll put cones down, like, give me something so that I can, you know, have some sort of landing to, to you know, to go with. The other thing is um, search engines. I mean, today you have things like uh, building connected, construction connect, viral bid, um, bid prime. So finding a search engine uh, that works with basically whatever your trade is. If you are a subcontractor, you want to seek out those search engines. If you are trying to become a GC or construction manager, you want to search out uh, search engines that reflect that. But you also want to register within your local cities and states so that you are on uh, their list and you get the notifications that subscribe to the trades that you do. And that's really how you, you find work. Okay, I love it. So now those are all my questions and I want to open it up to the audience. So everyone in the audience, feel free to turn off your microphone and ask away. And if you want to type it into the chat, I can read your question out loud. Well, I'll ask a question. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, you talked a little bit about, I mean, it's kind of, I guess we kind of asked the question already about, you know, like getting started you know, like, how do you do that? Like, I know you had that opportunity that kind of came about, right? But like, what would be some advice for someone who either had, you know, has an idea, always knew they wanted to kind of start their own thing, but it's just not quite, doesn't really understand where to, where to, how to get started? That's a good question. So what I tell people about getting started is you have to do your research. And a lot of that comes into play of clarity. A lot of contractors, future contractors are not clear. They think they are, but they're not as clear as they should be on what they want to do. And the research is involved because you have to find out, uh, are you going to work privately? Are you going to work publicly? Are you going to work federally? And who your clients are, what your services are, who your competition is. So I always encourage people to write everything down and start getting crystal clear and niching down on exactly what trade they want to do. The second thing is that you want to look into your state requirements uh, and what's required. A lot of times there are specific requirements. They have a contractor's licensing board that tells you exactly what's needed to apply. And in most cases for the majority of the trades, if there is a uh, license required, you, you probably will have to take some sort of exam, some business law exam, as well as a trade exam. But you also want to find out if opportunities that you're seeking are within your area. If you are a, interested in doing pool work, but you live in Wisconsin, that may not be the most profitable trade for that specific area, considering that Wisconsin is cold the majority of the time. So doing, uh, doing pool work may not be the best thing, uh, and vice versa if you wanted to do, uh, to do a lot of landscaping and, uh, and you're in Alaska, that may not be the best place for you to be for that specific trade. So doing your research to, uh, to find out exactly what services you want to offer, who you want to offer them to, finding out what the contractor's exam, what that requires, and also doing the research to kind of look into where, uh, you know, where those opportunities are. If you are in a smaller town or a larger town, what's available for, for where you're at. And if not, are you willing to relocate to, to start that business? Thank you. And the fourth thing, I'll add one more thing to that. I will say, uh, 
if you're still kind of stuck, you should find someone who's already done it. And we live in a time of social media. I have people reach out to me all of the time asking, how can I get started? And normally I encourage them to uh, set up a strategy call with me so that we can go through and do that. And we can kind of niche down. And that's how I'm able to identify that most people uh, still have a little work to do in finding out what services they're offering and who they're offering their services to. I love that. Getting started. It's like, who is your customer and what are you offering them? Two questions to get started. Thank you for that. Any other questions from the audience? Oh, Emily's asking, what other career positions can admins reach for? There are a bevy of uh, admin construction. Uh, you can do uh, contract administration. Uh, you can do, of course, project administration. Um, you can do... Uh, it really just, there's so many of them, it really depends on uh, what kind of company that you're working with and uh, what positions are available. Of course, there are so many uh, various kinds of project management, it just varies depending on the company that you're with and the opportunities that are available. Because kind of when it comes to doing the admin stuff, you're kind of doing a little bit of it all when it comes to construction. Uh, you're, you're, do, you're managing contracts, you are managing liens, you are doing part of the estimation and jo uh, job tracking costs and things of that nature. Sometimes there may be a little bookkeeping aspect in there. It's really just uh, where your interests are and find out what's out there within your company. So Emily's saying, I find there are a lot that are requiring degrees, which can be frustrating for those that do not have the time due to family circumstances for night school. Absolutely. Um, I am a strong, even though I, I went to law school, I'm a strong proponent for on-the-job training, especially within the construction industry. Yes, there are opportunities uh, that require you to have a degree, but what I always tell people is if you meet 70%, 80% of the requirements on that qualification for anyone that's looking for a job, even if you don't have a degree, but you feel confident that your experience outweighs that degree and you can showcase that on your resume, I would still apply for the job. I love that. And Jennifer, did you recommend like looking for relationships too? So looking for that person that knows how good you are, mm -hmm. that they mm -hmm. can vouch for you to help you kind of get that get over that 30% hurdle that you don't have yeah and i think especially with women uh, men you know i look at my husband and he does things like this all the time and he's like i'm like it says you have to have one through 10 he's but you only have one through five and he's like so just just do it anyway <laughs> so uh and i've kind of I've, I've kind of adapted that mindset from him like okay well that okay so i've got like 70 percent. that's good enough and so uh men are so great at doing that and for women we're often trying to check all the boxes and if we don't feel as though we meet all of the criteria then we're ineligible and it's like no just try and let them turn you down let them tell you that you don't meet the qualifications if you if they look at your resume and they see that you have 10 years of experience that's much more valuable to me than a person who has a degree because the person with the degree has no applicable experience they've never been on a job site they've never been in the construction office and so they don't have anywhere to apply that knowledge to so don't undersell yourself because you don't have a uh, four-year degree. If you can uh, get a certification, like I said, a project management or lead or some similar certification to bolster yourself, um, that's great. 
but lean into your own experience uh, that you have, what type of projects that you've worked on and, uh, and go from there. I love that. Thank you, Jennifer. Okay. I have one more question because at the end of every podcast, if you listen to the ambition theory podcast, you know, we always encourage people to take action within 24 hours after learning something new. So you taught us so many things, Jennifer, can you break it down to one nugget that everybody could do either today or tomorrow just to get themselves started on leveling up their career? Um, the one thing I will say is, uh, as I've said earlier, is basically to uh, get on LinkedIn and start nurturing your relationships. It doesn't matter if you are looking to uh, start a business or not, because you just never know when an opportunity may arise. And you want to make sure that the people that you are interested in working with and working for, that you stay at the forefront of their minds. And so uh, continue to reach out to them, continue to comment on their posts, ask for meetings. Uh, hey, can we do a coffee date? I'd like to run some things past you. Uh, even in Emmeline's case, uh, if there's someone at your job that you can uh, talk to, offer to take them to lunch so that you can kind of, uh, kind of pick their brain about what you'd like to do within your career and they can provide you some uh, some resources to do that. I love that. Thank you. And how do people connect with you, Jennifer? Uh, you can connect with me via LinkedIn at Jennifer Todd. Uh, you can also connect with me on Instagram, Construction Logout. And so, uh, and sometimes I'm on Twitter, but but not so much. I like ha actually have a business to run. So I can't, I, I can't be on social media all the time but uh those are the key things and if you are interested in uh booking a strategy session and really working through where how you'd like to level up your career or really take your business uh, to the next level i like to work with startup construction companies or people starting their construction companies because uh, people overlook the importance of starting things the right way and starting your business the right way will really help you to catapult your business and so that when those big opportunities come by and they will that you are ready to go i love that helping people be ready for the opportunity because they will i love that not if when oh it's, it's gonna happen but you just have to be ready and that's that's a, a lot of a lot of the problem is that people aren't uh, set up correctly and they aren't ready to, to go amazing thank you so much for your time today jennifer and sharing all of this amazing wisdom with us Thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate it. Hey, before you go, I'm going to read a review of our podcast. This one is called Engaging and Informative. As a new HR consultant, I have found the topics to be very informative and engaging. The dialogue is always upbeat. I also love that the conversations are the perfect length. I am sometimes left wanting more, but they are also easy to fit into my day. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for that generous review. It really helps us to get the word out about the podcast so that we can keep making episodes every week for you for free. And now I'm wondering if I can ask you a favor. Can you leave the podcast a five-star review and a comment? Thank you so much.